0: Welcome to Catholic Views. I'm your host, Renee Kranz. Today on the show, we have Father Jeff Norfolk is back, and he is going to tell us the story of how he got his call to the priesthood. Uh, there were some surprises in this interview that I did not expect, so I hope you'll stick around to hear his story. First, we have Dr. Chris Bergwald. I have to, start to say that weird. Dr. Chris Bergwald.
1: Yeah, you stressed the wrong syllable. Because-
0: Oh, what is this Bergwald? Supposed to be? Ber- <laughs> no, it's
1: Bergwald. It's Bergwald. Oh. No, it's Bergwald.
0: <laughs> we're going wow. we're going to attempt to do some an biblical bite with doctor B. To- <laughs> Ooh, is that the, the word of the auspicious, day? Auspicious.
1: auspicious.
0: Look that one up in your dictionaries.
1: Hey, uh, no time. Okay. Renee. Yes. What's today?
0: Today's the 31st Sunday.
1: And what's today's oh. date?
0: the 31st
1: of halloween oh. Ooh,
0: is that like a golden birthday kind of I, thing <laughs> I, I as i was preparing
1: for today when how often does this ever happen yeah Or that the sunday it is is the same date it is and i don't think it happens very i yeah, i didn't have to take time to go back and look but i don't think it happens yeah. very often especially um, when
0: it's a holiday too a certain holiday that's very secular that we won't talk about, I guess.
1: <laughs> uh, you mean the thirty first Sunday in ordinary time? Right. That's not secular. That's a uh, that's. Uh, okay, you're right. Yeah. Sorry,
0: sorry, uh, I blew up. I don't up. know. I don't know
1: what you're talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> my kids will be happy tonight. Yes. Um, so the second reading for several weeks now. We talked. We we didn't talk about it last week, but we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Do you remember what the second reading at Mass has been in our semi-continuous it's reading? Hebrews. He I think I guess like
0: every book last time,
1: you know, do you, do you and know so
0: before it? you stop me.
1: Um, no, you're right. It is, <laughs> but there's a joke. There's a coffee joke in there.
0: Oh yeah.
1: You see what I'm saying? There? Yes.
0: Yeah. Bill's getting it. I am not, I don't drink coffee.
1: It, uh, or it's a tea it's joke tea. for that matter.
0: Oh, he brews the cup. Co- okay. <laughs>
1: Wow, this is exciting so, radio. Society. Can we move on? So oh, just because you're embarrassed because he didn't get the joke. I understand. I... Hebrews, uh, the reading this week talks about how. So it's we're we're in chapter seven in Hebrews. Um, and it's a compare and contrast between the Levitical priesthood, high priesthood, mm-hmm. and Jesus's high priesthood. And there's this interesting thing near the end of this week's reading, for the law appoints men subject to weakness to be high priests. So the high priests of the old covenant. Uh, were subject to weakness because they were sinners. Right. But the word of the oath, which was taken after the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So the word of the oath, which was which was taken after the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. From last week, it's made clear what that's referring to. It's referring to Psalm 110, um, David's words to Solomon, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek.
0: Yeah. Hey, I mentioned that guy a few weeks ago and, and I remembered his name then. You did. So, we're, <laughs> I, so I want to take just
1: a couple minutes yeah. to talk about Melchizedek. So who is Melchizedek? Uh,
0: he was a very ancient priest from what I, like before, before Moses?
1: Before Moses, so that's After. before. No, you're right. Yes, I thought before, it was before. So yeah. that's before Aaron is <clears throat> that. Yeah. So Melchizedek's order of priesthood is older than the Aaronic um, right. Levitical high priesthood. Right. What else do you know about Melchizedek?
0: Um, I know he offered bread and wine.
1: He offered bread and wine as yep. part of his sacrifice. Right. What else? Uh,
0: that's all I got. He Bill? is
1: also. Bill, <laughs> no. sorry, you sorry. took all my
0: answers. Oh, there he
1: he's a, he was also he's a, he's a priest and a king.
0: Oh yeah, a that's king right.
1: of a of a town in in the Holy Land called Salem. Do you know okay. what town Salem is? What mm. city Salem would become?
0: No, Jerusalem.
1: Jerusalem. Oh, hey, that makes sense. So Melchizedek is the king priest of Salem who okay. offers a sacrifice of bread and wine, and Salem Jerusalem um is where is this it's on the same mountain that Abraham was prepared ah. to offer his son Isaac okay which is the same mountain on which the father offered his son mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. So Melchizedek is the priest King of Jerusalem um, where the son was sacrificed and he offered a sacrifice of bread and wine
0: okay
1: Jesus. Is Uh, (laughs) the so so David says you are priest forever according to the line of Melchizedek that's actually fulfilled most fully obviously in Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. but what's interesting so there's this line from the today's reading. But the word of an oath appoints a son. So the the Levitical priesthood was established on, with God's permission, and so on. But it was the Lord's oath that established the established the priesthood of Melchizedek, and Jesus is the fulfillment of that priesthood. So there's a whole we, we're just touching the service here. So many parallels between Melchizedek and, Melchizedek and Jesus, and He is the High Priest.
0: Uh, we'll have to get into that another time. I think. I Thanks, so. Doctor B. You bet. In the studio with me today again is Father Jeff Norfolk. Yay! <laughs> Insert applause here, Bill. All right, Father Norfolk. That was a lot of applause. <laughs> Father Norfolk is here to tell us about his call to the priesthood. Um, I have uh, talked with Father Norfolk a few different times. I haven't gotten to know him a lot, and I do not know. I don't know your story, Father Norfolk. So this will be good. Happy to share it. Good. All right. So, will you first um, tell us about your family, where you grew up? How did this all start?
2: Born and raised in Mitchell, South Dakota. Started on the east side of Mitchell. Uh, I like to mention that because... Are there
0: tracks that divide the town or something? (laughs) uh,
2: There's not railroad tracks necessarily, but the east and the west are a little bit different.
0: Are they really? Uh,
2: Yeah. And and we grew up our first probably 10 years on the east side and then moved to the west side. Okay. Um, So... Born and raised there, graduated from high school there in 1999. I have an older sister and an older brother. And when I was nine years old, my parents divorced. So that also added to the the story and the experience because eventually stepbrothers, half siblings came along. Sure,
0: sounds uh, like my family. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. So that that'll get us st- start At least uh, I spent the first 18 years in Mitchell.
0: Okay. Um. So you graduated from Mitchell I High did. School. Yeah. Did you have some sort of plan? before you decided to go to seminary? Like, were you going to be, gosh, I don't even know what your background is in, so I can't even imagine what you might have wanted to be.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's always humorous to hear little children talk about what they want to be when they grow (laughs) up.
0: It is. So everywhere
2: from a garbage man to an architect to most recently before graduating high school, I worked at the Department of Social Services and wanted to be a social worker.
0: Wait, you wanted to be a garbage man?
2: Uh, as a young child, okay. I mean, who doesn't want to ride on the back of a garbage truck?
0: <laughs> okay, I, I get that. But you could have been a fireman. I mean, they also ride in a truck.
2: <laughs> I like uh, collecting things, so okay. garbage man was much <laughs> more enticing. That makes sense now.
0: <laughs> All right, so you were thinking, uh, you were doing social work. Did you actually start uh, college for that?
2: No. Okay. Uh, my conversion to Jesus, where he became very real in my life, happened the summer before my senior year. Mm. So I was planning to go to Black Hills State in Spearfish for social work, but then insert Jesus in a new way, and lots of things got flipped on their head. So So
0: did you grow up Catholic? or So you say you had a conversion then. So you were Catholic, but there was something else happened.
2: Yeah, so born and raised Catholic, went to Catholic grade school until fifth grade. After the divorce, my parents, my father moved to the west side of town, which was right next to the the public junior high, so I went to the public junior high. And in Mitchell, there was no— uh, Catholic junior high or high school. There was oh, a sure. Christian high school that I could have gone to, but uh, eventually went to public junior high and high school. Um, so, yeah, baptism, confirmation, Holy Communion, First Confession, all uh, as a Catholic growing up.
0: Okay. So then what happened in that summer? Can you, Do you want to tell us what happened in that conversion? or?
2: Sure, sure. Okay. I'm happy to share, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I was very girl crazy as a— <laughs> A high schooler, so... Can't
0: picture that either.
2: (laughs) And I don't know that a lot of people would have pictured it, but that was what was going on in my mind. Sure.
0: Yeah. Well, you're you're a 17-year-old boy, I mean.
2: (laughs) Eventually, a dating relationship started uh, that Jesus was not part of, so thanks be to God, he got me out of that. Mm -hmm. But it took about three tries. Sure. So getting together, breaking up, getting together, breaking up. Uh, And then through a youth group, which was not part of my life until that really... Uh, sophomore, junior year. That's where a lot of seeds started really blossoming. They had been planted throughout my life, but being watered and growing. And so the first thing that my youth minister did when she came to my parish was to take us to a, a Steubenville conference in Steubenville, Ohio at the Franciscan University. Mm-hmm. I had just recently been confirmed. And so there's this little part of my heart that's open. I want to know more about God, but I'm attached to this broken relationship with this girl. Uh, I like playing sports. I played soccer. I like having a job and a truck and all these other things are getting my attention. So when I had a weekend to give Jesus my attention, he worked, you know,
0: he's like, Oh, I got him. I got him for a weekend. I got to use this. Right.
2: (laughs) Amen. And I gave him three millimeters of my heart and he worked powerfully because all the graces of the sacrament of confirmation were there. Mm -hmm. They just weren't being acted upon. Right. And you know, part of it was because mom and dad were split up and they were trying to care for us the best way that they could. But emphasizing and teaching the faith, in some ways, wasn't on the survival list. Sure. Uh, as
0: sure.
2: they were trying now as single parents. I think that's, and-
0: not, that's not unusual in that situation.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I don't fault them, but I recognize that there was this lack in my life. And sure. So God brought someone to help sure. step into
0: that. So you went to college then?
2: No, I no. didn't. No. So <laughs> the uh, the bad relationship ended, thanks be to God, but then a healthy relationship started. Okay. Uh, so I had a high school sweetheart uh, and we dated for about six months. And then I knew I wasn't going to go to college because this conversion had happened. And all I wanted to do was tell people about Jesus. Okay. So senior year in high school, not going to social work, not going to black Hill state and net ministries comes to my town and the guys need a place to stay, which they always do when they live in host homes. Mm-hmm. So the guys come stay at my house and they start telling me about their life and what they're doing. And so I applied for Net Ministries to become a missionary for a year instead of going right to college.
0: I didn't know you did that. Yeah. So you and Father Trainer have that in common.
2: Yeah, there's actually yeah. several priests in the diocese that have done it. Yeah,
0: uh, Net Ministries yeah. is a uh, it's like a cultivating field for, Amen. Very <laughs> for much. priesthood. Yeah. yeah. So how long did you just spend a year with I Net? Did. I okay. did. Okay. Yeah. And then somewhere in there yeah. that you got your call.
2: Yeah, so traveling around the United States— Midwest, West Coast, for 10 months, and as young men, we stayed at a lot of rectories with priests, uh, as well as staying at uh, host homes with families. But I started thinking about the priesthood. Mm-hmm. That was not on my radar in high school. Um, when I was about 15 or sixteen, a friend invited me to what the diocese called Operation Andrew, where you go to a rectory, you meet priests, you meet the bishop. And that happened when I was 15 or 16, and I think that planted a seed. Sure. But again, girl crazy. That took over for the last three <laughs> years of high school, and so I just forgot about it. Sure. And if someone would have asked me about the priesthood at 15 or 16, or in fact, any years in my high school career, I would have said, I, I don't know anything about priests. Mm-hmm. What's a seminary? I don't know anything about a seminary. Right. So I was very ignorant about the life of a priest and the life of a seminary. So I start meeting all these priests. I see great examples. I'm coming out of confession one time at net training, and the priest that had heard my confession said there's something about your hands. And I said, well, I don't really know what you mean, Father. Uh, I don't know anything special about my hands. I mean, I'm learning to play the guitar. But eventually, years later, he would be one of my professors that would teach me homiletics in the seminary. And I knew what he meant is that my hands were to be consecrated. They were to be set aside for the priesthood. Sure. And he saw something in me as an 18-year-old young man that I didn't see. Right. Uh, And so beautiful that... 9, 10 years later, he was the one in the seminary who was teaching me.
0: Yeah, Um, that's really cool. Did you have some—when you realized that you were getting this call, did you have some fear, some anxiety? What was going on in your head?
2: Yeah, because I had this high school sweetheart, and even though we only dated for a short period of time, I was very close to her family, and uh, I definitely had strong feelings towards her. So to let her go, even while I was in the seminary, Uh, To let go and surrender those feelings and give that idea and that possibility to God took six years. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to go to the minor seminary in the discernment program and all of a sudden let go of all these feelings or all these ideas of the possibility of marriage. I wasn't one of those guys. Sure. Uh, It took many years in that sense. And part of the reason that I let go and surrendered is because she went to the convent.
0: (laughs) That helps. (laughs) Helps greatly. Well, and I'm sure, you know, you two must have helped each other get to those two places.
2: Yeah, we we cried a lot of tears together, (laughs) and we prayed for each other and really helped each other to try and see the big picture of what God was calling us to, because she also was not uh, eager about responding to a religious vocation. In some ways, she was running from it, um, but God had placed it deep on her heart, and so eventually, now as an adult, having gone through college, she was ready to face it.
0: sure. Sure. Um, so what was, okay. What year were you ordained?
2: 2009.
0: Okay. So it hasn't been, it's been what, 12 years? Is that right? Okay. I can do math today. (laughs) Um, so it hasn't been a lot of time. Do you still remember seminary years?
2: Sure. Sure. Yeah. And have been back there. Okay. And when I work with seminarians on retreats in particular, it brings me back there. Sure. So yeah, beautiful experience. Four years in Ohio, five years in Denver. and taught me how to be human. Probably one of the greatest graces is that um, I was pretty rigid and uh, pretty intense, zealous, but not always in good ways. Sure. And so it taught me how to keep a balanced humanity, a tenderness with my humanity. And so I'm very grateful for the priests and the formators, uh, the friendships that I formed both undergraduate and in theology.
0: That's an interesting way that you say that, that you learned how to be human. Yes. As soon as you say that, I'm like, wait a second, <laughs> maybe I'm missing something. So can you explain that a little bit more?
2: Yeah, because we, we live in a world in many ways uh, that doesn't teach us well how to be human. Right. Uh, they have the, There's worldly expectations of us that are way beyond our human capacities.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Or the other side is they dismiss and downplay sin, which isn't helpful for our humanity either. Right. And so I, I, I went from both sides. I went from, oh, everything's up to me. I have to sustain my own life. I have to make myself happy to, oh, I can do all sorts of kinds of sins and and it doesn't really matter, you know?
0: That's a big swing. (laughs) It is a huge swing.
2: So to find a balance of, yes, sin has consequences. And when I sin and there's consequences, God is merciful and wants to draw me deeper into relationship with him so that I don't keep falling into these patterns of sin. Right. So it gave me a good emotional balance. It gave me a good discipline spiritually to, to fight against temptations and near occasions of sin and to just really become free to be the man that God made me to be.
0: Right, right. If you've just joined us, we're talking to Father Jeff Norfolk about his call to the priesthood and how he came to be here. Um, Okay, so was there a part of seminary that was really challenging for you, or was it the becoming human part that was really challenging? (laughs) Well, that was definitely
2: challenging. Uh, I always tell people that I think they would be surprised that my family was the most challenged. Oh, okay. And, And part of it, and I think most people can understand this, part of it is because I come from a divorced family. Sure. And so there was a lot of healing that had to go through that process. Um, But also, parents many times have a vision of what they think for their children. Mm -hmm. And my parents' vision for me as a child didn't necessarily match up with being in the seminary and not being in a relationship with my high school sweetheart.
0: Sure.
2: So they had to let go of that. And many parents, if not all, want grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And so as I further... Progressed in the seminary, they realized that probably wasn't going to happen. Were uh, you an only child? No. Okay. Older sister, older brother. Uh, who so they both, got
0: grandchildren anyway.
2: They did. Okay, good. <laughs> they did, and and thanks be to God, my my siblings both have children, good. so uh, a number of grandchildren. So, but it was still uh, to to let go of this relationship with this young woman who they really liked a lot, and they knew that I liked was a sacrifice sure. for them.
0: Yeah, I think it is. I mean, parents in my experience and hearing the different stories from priests, either they're they knew this was going to happen all along or they're completely kind of blindsided and they're like, "But I thought you were going to be this," or you know, and they almost always come around. It just takes a little time, a little adjustment. I think that's to be expected, don't you?
2: Yeah, and I do believe that they came around, <laughs> but I don't think they were expecting it.
0: Right. And, right. and
2: so As they got to meet other priests that were helping me as they got to meet other priests in the diocese, then they began to realize that, okay, my son's going to be taken care of. Right. And, you know, like many American parents, they want me to do what's going to make me happy. Sure. And they began to see that this was going to make me happy. Uh, But even now today, I think my family would be one of the first to tell you that the church has become my family. Right. And so, and and that's not the case with all priests in the sense that they still stay tightly connected to their families. Mm -hmm. But for me, because of the fractured nature of my family, the church really stepped in and took a, a important place of really investing my life and finding support from uh, the church as a whole.
0: That's good. So then they know you're okay, which is important. Yeah,
2: that I'm taking care yeah. of. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they understand necessarily my day-to-day life, but they know that I'm being cared you for. You know,
0: probably a lot of us don't understand the day-to-day life of a priest, so... <laughs> They aren't alone there. It's true. We're trying to learn more with these interviews, actually. So um, is there anything that really stands out for you from your ordination?
2: Yeah, and I think many of uh, my brother priests would say the same, that when you're lying on the prostrate on the mm-hmm. the cathedral floor, a lot of things go through your mind. The other thing that stuck out to me was hearing my first confession. Oh, um, okay. Because on that day, so many things are happening. You're seeing so many people that you know It's very exciting. And then for a friend of mine to pull me aside and say, Hey, can I go to confession? And I was like, Well, I didn't really prepare for this. Like, (laughs) I got to get into the mental headspace of doing this for the first time. I don't even
0: know what I'm doing yet. (laughs) Even though I'm
2: practicing it many times in practicums. (laughs) Right. Uh, So that sticks out to me very much.
0: Yeah, I bet. Was it a good, like, was that a good experience, that first confession?
2: It was. And it it definitely taught me, as 12 years of being a priest has taught me, that you got to be ready to do things on the spot. Yeah. You know, someone uh, yeah. could walk up to me at any time and, and ask to go to confession. Someone could walk up to me any time in the grocery store and say, "Hey, I see you have a collar around your neck. Why does the Catholic Church do this, or why does the Catholic Church believe this?" Right. So you learn over time to really be able to respond to as as best as you can on the spot yeah. the person's request or yeah. a question.
0: Does that happen to you a lot in the grocery store? Yeah. <laughs> does it really? <laughs> yeah. I
2: mean, I wouldn't say the grocery store necessarily, um,
0: but airplanes. I bet I've heard. I've heard airplanes are a big one.
2: Airplanes, airports, uh, gas stations—any any place in which a person feels comfortable to ask me a question, I need to be ready to do so. Because yeah. and and many times they have some kind of Catholic background, but also many times they've been hurt by something that's happened sure. in the church. Sure. Or how many times have I heard, "Father, I was an altar server when I was a little boy," and I know almost immediately what's, what's going to follow next? from that. Yes. <laughs> that they eventually left the church sure. is usually what follows from that sure. so funerals those kind of situations especially we hear a lot of stories oh, sure. of what people were and what they are now
0: yep yep very interesting um okay what has been your favorite part of being a priest so far
2: yeah i definitely love confession and uh, try to make myself as available to to offer confession And not only working as a parish priest, but in specialized ministries, hospitals, university, prison, trying to bring sacraments to those places that are definitely places of significant need. Mm -hmm. Um, Most Catholic parishes have confession available at certain times uh, on on a scheduled basis. But in hospitals and, again, universities and prisons, but people want to know that you're available. Right, are so right. just trying to, to be as available for that as possible. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, and this isn't necessarily unique to the priesthood, because um, there are, are lay spiritual directors as well, but as a priest I've had the opportunity to help with a lot of retreats. Yeah. Uh, and so when I was in the seminary and I saw a priest who helped direct and um, give conferences and retreats, was inspired, and I never thought that I'd be doing the work that I'm doing uh, with silent retreats, 30-day retreats, couples retreats, but uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity.
0: Yeah. Okay. So now, now I'm really curious about this question because I'm finding out there was a lot I didn't know about you. So do you have some kind of crazy hobby that we don't know about? <laughs> <laughs> Cause I'm thinking you might.
2: <laughs> I, I wouldn't call it crazy okay. <laughs> uh, in the sense that I, I think my biggest desire is I just love to travel. Okay. And so, when someone says, "Oh, Father, you're 40 years old and, you know, you, you've been Catholic your whole life." But then I tell them places that I've been and and, you know, things that I've experienced. I don't think that they normally think a 40-year-old uh priest has had the experiences that I've sure. had, you know.
0: And I'm sure those have helped you. They've got to be helpful when you're saying homilies.
2: Yeah, definitely. You can tell <laughs> lots of stories about experiences and, you know, especially God's providence because uh probably 15 countries I've been to in my travels. And so you see God's providence from trains and buses to cars that he provides in these places where many places I didn't speak the language and the trust that God was going to get me to the next place on time and give me what I needed uh, to sleep and to eat. Definitely a, a beautiful experience of a stretching of my faith.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Daring. Yeah. <laughs> but that's good. We can put all your trust in, in God like that. That's what we're supposed to do. Amen. It's just really hard to do. <laughs> Very challenging. Um, all right, If right. Um, I've just got a couple more for you here. If a young man was to come to you and uh, and say, Father Norfolk, I think I might be hearing a call to the priesthood, kind of freaked out about it. <laughs> what would you tell him? Yeah, I
2: mean, it just happened on Monday, actually. <laughs> so two days ago.
0: So, wow. <laughs> uh,
2: and, you know, thanks be to God that— uh, and this man was a little bit older in that sense, um, but I've worked with some guys in high school too. The first thing is, number one, let's pray. You know, so to help them understand the importance of daily, bringing this desire, bringing this question to Jesus, and presenting their heart, presenting their desires to Jesus on a daily basis. Because once they get into that habit of daily prayer, then they're going to be able to recognize God's voice, distinguishing it from their own human voice or other temptations or other distractions. So the first thing is pray. The second thing is watch. Okay. Uh, just to to watch their local priest, or to find resources if they feel drawn to a, a particular apostolate or ministry. So if someone's drawn to working with the poor, for example, I can point them to three different, four different religious communities throughout the United States or throughout the world that work with the poor. Sure. Or tell them ex- experiences that I've had, or even go and have experiences with them. Mm-hmm. Okay. You want to. See if this is for you. Let's go and test it. Let's go and experience it by doing some ministry together or by going on a, a domestic or international mission trip together. So praying is important and watching and having experiences of what, what a priests do? What is their daily life like? And giving a chance for them just to, to spend a day with me or with another priest.
0: Yeah, yeah. That seems really helpful. I and hadn't, I hadn't heard the last two before. Pray, we always hear that one. So that's always good. But those are... That's really good advice. Is there anything we can do to help you be a better priest? Yes. As lay that's, people.
2: That's very helpful. Actually. <laughs> uh, so I just got a, a message the other day and we've seen it in the, the Bishop's bulletin recently about the seven sisters apostolate. Mm-hmm. And so it's very helpful in, in the past three parishes that I've been in to have women who gather and pray for their local priests on a daily basis. That's number one. The prayers of the lay faithful are very helpful. In fact, I wouldn't even, that's that's not even strong enough. Crucial is very important. Um, Secondly, the more that lay people take seriously their call of holiness and their call of deepening of faith, it actually makes my life easier.
0: I I bet it does. That makes sense. (laughs) I'm
2: very grateful when people grow in being formed in the faith and forming their conscience and deepening their relationship with Christ because it's much easier for me to to feed them right when they're hungry and they, right. they, they want to be fed.
0: Yeah, that's great. A great thing for us to do. I love that. I'm going to start doing that. I better become more holy. <laughs> I might need some help, Father Norfolk. <laughs> Happy to help you. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for telling us your story today and for being here. I You're appreciate okay. it. Thank you. All right. If you uh, haven't found us on social media yet, you can find us at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at SF Diocese anytime. And uh, you can also find us at sfcatholic.org on our website to find all kinds of things happening in the diocese. That is it for us today. Hope you'll join us again next week for more Catholic Views.